All righty, welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Soros, broadcasting as always live from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain here in Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my procussively proficient co-host, calling in, usually from Charm City, but I think North Carolina today, right, Odell? Yeah, man, I'm, call- I'm calling in from uh, Calabash, North Carolina, the lovely very, coast. <laughs> very nice. You ready to get your mind blown? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let me quiz you here. We did the tin can launch. Um, we yeah. had Dave Smalley on and Kim from Jawbox and Al Piston, yeah. and those were kind of mini-episodes. But what month do you think we did our last full episode of Musical Osmosis? Oh, wow. Um, With Mormo. He was our last guest, just to give you a hint. Was it March? Ah, close. It was April. April 13th. Okay. Yeah. I know it's been a, I know it's been a while. <laughs> That's insane to me. And let's do this. How many episodes of Musical Osmosis do you think this makes for you? Oh, man. Um, eight? Did you say eight? Eight or nine? You are way off. Really? Yeah. Wow. Hold Try on. again. You know what? Yeah, I am way off. I'll say uh, 12. 12 or 13. 17. Oh, my God. I'm still <laughs> Counting the many episodes. This makes 17 episodes you've been on. Man, time is moving. Almost a year. This is almost a year you've been on musical osmosis wow wow so how do you process all that does it seem like it's been that long no it doesn't but it was funny as you were posting um as you were reposting everything that uh the tin can i was like man that's right that was back in like october of last year oh this is the christmas episode so yeah 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 you you're right man it has been uh, uh, almost well it has been almost a full year all righty well lurking in the shadows as always is the woman who always saves our lives back in the shadows D, the Maven Domestic. Hi, guys. You're like Vida Sassoon. You make us look good. I try. Yes, you do. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's D. <laughs> hey, guys. How's it going? All right. Well, Mrs. Producer, why don't you give us the lowdown on who's coming on the show? Absolutely. This week on Trivia, we have got Hakeem Combs, super funny guy. Um, and we are still doing that on Friday night, even though we don't call it Friday Night Drunken Trivia anymore. Um, then we've got comedian Delaney Fisher coming up. And the week after that, we've got comedian A.K. Bjorn. So a lot of comedians coming on. Uh, super cool stuff. And then on Kettle of Fish, this week we've got Chris Mohan, who is going to be live weekend after next with Lee Camp in Asheville. So if you are in the Asheville area, September 3rd, there are still some tickets left for the 10 o'clock show. 8 o'clock is all sold out, but we'll be there at 10. You can come, you know, buy me drinks, stalk us, whatever. Um, (laughs) And then we have actress Rebecca Kennedy coming on in a couple weeks. And um, we also have from this season's America's Got Talent, we've got R.L. Bell, which, I mean, let me tell you, he's a great-looking guy, tall, strong, all that. But um, seriously, if I met him in a dark alley, I would probably think he was a pimp. Like, I, I just really think he would, you know. Can I say this? R.L. Bell is a damn beautiful man. Yes, yeah, he, he is. Yeah, he does kind of got that Godfather thing from wrestling going on, the old wrestling right. But let's be honest, you only meet men in dark alleys. That, Numerous horror movies. Mm-hmm. And that's speaking awesome. of horror movies, we've got Goblin, Odell, next what? month. Goblin yes. from the old horror yes. movie soundtracks. Oh, come on. Bring it bring it on. <laughs> I can't wait to dig into those guys and ask those. Yes. Speaking of digging into guys, I got a problem, Odell. 
I don't know what to do. This officially makes the episode where I have spoken to all my musical heroes that have said yes. This is it. (laughs) I'm done. You can can travel the earth. (laughs) Right, right. You you walked across the rice paper with no footprints. You were good to go. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I mean, I've spoken with Al Pissed, Warrior Soul, Peg Boy. I mean, just every band that I really wanted to speak with. The guys from SLC Punk 2, The Briefs, The Dead Milkmen, every band and and SLC Punk 2, that's a little different because it's a movie franchise. But every band that had an impact on me, except for Suicidal, which I I have no clue. I've been trying for years to find out how to get a hold of Mike Muir. And um, The Descendants, which their people said no. And I can't figure out how to get a hold of DRI, too. I've written them a couple times. That's okay. about it, man. I don't know where to go from here. You know, there's a lot of exciting music. I know we're gonna have the Proto Men on um, sometime yeah. in the near future. Murphy from the Proto Men. I've already reached out and talked with him. Um, so there's a couple newer bands that I'm excited. Yeah, we're gonna have some hip hop on there. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have some drop lockers coming on. And yep, we're trying to venture out, man. <laughs> but as far as like all the old heroes, I've already like burned through them all. So, and here's the weird thing. You want to hear the fucking weird thing? Yeah. My favorite band, you know this. I've been sweating for twenty years. Is no effects, and what's yeah. weird? I have no interest in talking to Fat Mike. I don't know why. I just have no interest in interviewing him. Oh wow! Why? Never reached out to him. I don't know. I just don't feel like it would be a good interview. <laughs> and it's not a nerve thing. It's not like oh my god, Mister Mike, Mister Fat Mike. Like it's not like that or anything. I just feel like it would be. I just don't. I feel like it. Not a doll interview. I just feel like. It would be like a lot of me, like, I don't know, maybe grilling him? I don't know how to describe it. And I'm never speechless. I don't know how to describe the feeling. I just have zero interest in interviewing probably one of my favorite artists. Is that weird? <laughs> a little bit, but I, 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 I see where you're coming from. I can see, you know, where it would be one of those things where we could be doing a lot of the talking. <laughs> right? That's, I just feel like feeling. he's got such a sharp wit. That maybe yeah. he would get bored of us. Maybe it is a little bit intimidation, but I haven't been intimidated by anybody else. So I don't right, know if right. it's that. Uh, maybe I don't want to be disappointed. Maybe if I talk to him and he, he has a sharp tongue, so maybe he would be a dick. And then I'd be like, yeah. oh, man, you just... Because there have been experiences where I've really been into something and met that person, and it didn't go oh, yeah. well, and I it ruined it for me. I couldn't like be into their music or their TV show again after oh, that. I- I can tell you, uh, Sergio, you know, he was a huge um, Juliana Hatfield fan. And a handful of years ago, he went and saw her play at some small, like some little small venue. And he finally got the chance to meet her. And this was like, this was Sergio's crush from like the early 90s on, high school on. And when he met her, and you know, she was a total B to him. <laughs> wow. He was like, okay, that was absolutely ruined. That that wasn't good. Maybe I don't want to be crushed by Fat Mike. Maybe the hundredth episode of this will do Fat Mike if we can get yeah. old. That's my game plan. All right, let's move <laughs> on to some sad news. Tonight, of course, before we move on to the sad news, we're gonna have Rick Sims on from the digits, from Super Suckers, um, from Gaza Strippers, from Gaza so- Strippers. So many great bands that we grew up listening to. I've been a huge Digit fan forever. Of course, I used to have the little cassette tapes. That's how long I've been listening to the Digits. 
And, I mean, this guy has so much fucking personality, man. Such a great stage present. I cannot wait to mix it up with Rick. Are you feeling it's that? Gonna be good. It's going to be good because um, I'm, I'm not as big of a fan as the Digits as you were, but I listen to him quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, uh, just it, it, not only with that, but his collaboration with other artists, um, you don't realize it until you're like, oh, man, that's right. He was on that or he did help produce. So, it, it, yeah, this is going to be really good. Yeah, you got to love the guy that's like a musician's musician, right? And yeah, he's definitely, definitely a musician, musician. That guy can shred on the guitar. All right, definitely. not to bring the whole um, content down here, but there's something we have to mention. Former yeah. guitarist of Onus, your band for several years, probably yeah. um, the band that you are most well-known for, if we can label it that way, the band that everybody that we grew up with knows you from, is yeah. Onus. He has passed away recently. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a whole tribute episode next Wednesday for Dave, yeah, yeah. Uh, assuming we can get everything together. I do have the interviews and some music together awesome. for that. I'm just hoping we can get a few people to call in because I don't want to just sit here for an hour and just talk to you alone about Dave. I don't think that right, would engage right. into our audience. I want to hear a bunch of different perspectives. But Definitely. just to kind of mix it up here for a second until Rick gets in here, when somebody is such a big part of your life especially a part of your musical and creative life and they pass away. And I don't know how much of a relationship you and Dave had over the last few years. I know I haven't seen them in years, probably 10 years. Right. right. I mean, this has to be like a family member dying, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it, 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 it was pretty tough. It was one of those things where, and when, where I found out, you know, I was at work. So um, it was one of those things where it just caught me off guard. So the initial reaction was, you know, of course, was shock, and then it was a little anger, and then uh, uh, it really hit home as the week went on. And then um, they had a, a celebration of life um, ceremony uh, on Saturday for him, and uh, of course, up front where you know all the pictures, and you just look through all the pictures, and I, you know, that's when everything starts flooding back into you. All the memories start flooding back of, you know, oh, I totally forgot about that picture or that place we played or hanging out there or at different places. So uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely brings it back uh especially when you know he has uh had younger siblings and seeing them grow up you know i met i met you know, Dave's younger sister when she was in middle school and now she's married and and, and a mother of you know two, well actually three uh three kids now so um yeah it really hits home because you're like wow we, we spent a lot of time either at my house or at his house playing or on the road or or, you know, at different parties, so it definitely, uh, it definitely hits on. Well, one of the first interviews I ever did was with um, Steve Moriarty from The Gits, and I'll kind mm -hmm. of ask you what I asked him. Is the loss, like, what weighs more heavy on you? The loss of Dave is gone, this is my friend that's gone, or the loss of here was a guy who was brilliant on guitar, and I think I can say that, because, mm -hmm. and I'm not just saying that because he was my friend, because I have plenty of friends who are on guitar, and I'm like, yeah, they're good guitars. But I, mm -hmm. I would line Dave up against any guitarist that's not like Joe Satriani or yep. Steve I. Sure. Like whatever that hey, level sure. is down under, like a George Lynch, I would line yep. Dave up against fucking George Lynch or Ag Agnes Young or any of those yeah. guys any yep. day of the week. So what's the bigger loss in your mind? The, the musical loss of what could have been or, mm -hmm. hey, this was just Dave, my friend? Um, well, it's, it's, it's sort of both. Um, you 
because with Dave, you know, Dave, Dave definitely wasn't shy on you know playing the guitar. He'll let you know. That oh yeah, <laughs> which was you know which was funny and and awesome and, and a lot of because a lot of times when you know you're nervous before a show and he's up there wheeling and dealing, you're like, okay, we're, we're good, we're gonna be good. Um, I remember uh, but, Jason Taylor used to make fun of him for it when he was our first guitarist and even Steven, and he actually mm-hmm. put a picture of Dave on his guitar. When we would play shows with you guys, and uh, they'd be like, "What's that?" He's like, "You're such a guitar god. I put your picture on my guitar now." And we would actually play shows, and um, Jason would have Dave's picture, like this stoic black and white picture of Dave, just a headshot that he had yep. like taped to his masking tape to his guitar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but no, it's just, it's it's both. But um, you know, because there was a there was a lot of potential there. Um, as a guitarist, but more so definitely because we sort of lost touch the last handful of years. Too. That's almost you know here and there, but nothing to the extent that we you know we hung out for. Um, it's just unfortunate, yeah. Because if you sit there, I've been I've been fortunate to play with some really uh, talented people. I I tell I tell Andy Dorsey that too. I said, dude, I'll push you up against any any bass player any day of the week. I'll like it's not even a question of that. You know, and and uh, Dave Dave Surge is far as writing music and everything it's, it's uh it was a fun time it was a really fun time um you don't realize how many people you influence until something like this happens and then people send you know notes or or call you and, and let you know you know express their feelings so uh yeah it yeah, sounds it's like we're gonna have a lot to talk about next week yeah definitely definitely all right well speaking of a lot to talk about we <laughs> have got rick sims on the line from the digits from Gaza Strippers, man, like I said, this is kind of a milestone for me because this is the last great punk hero of mine that I'm actually getting to talk to. I don't know where to go from here. I'm kind of lost after this interview. But let's get Rick in here. Rick, are you with us? I'm with you. Right on, Rick. Hey, thank you, you so doing? much for calling into the show. This is my co-host, Odell, by the way. Who is hey, Rick. This is Who our is co-host, co-host, Odell. This is Nick, and this is our co-host, Odell, on the other line. Yeah. Oh, hey. How you doing? How's it going? I heard you all talking about playing guitar. I thought maybe you were like some rock star or something. Are you like a, a rock star? No, not really. <laughs> we just played. We played a lot of in our area growing up, and uh, and uh, we we lost a, a dear close friend uh, last week. Well, yeah, early last week. So we were just talking about him. Oh, sorry about that, man. Oh no, no worries. Yeah, he he was a big he was a big Digits fan too. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh huh. Well, speaking of Big Digit fan, let's try to get this um, train off the morose track that we're on. And let me have my stupid idiot fanboy moment here. I got to tell you guys, man, like um, maybe seven, eight bands that have consistently been in my rotation of music over the last 20 years. And you guys are right there. You're one of seven or eight bands that I've never stopped listening to. I've probably never gone a month of my life without listening to Digits. I mean, you guys are really fucking timeless. You stand the test of time. You really do. Well, thanks. I feel like that puts us right up there with like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, you know, because uh, every time I put on those records, I feel like they could have been written yesterday. Well, I, I mean, even ACDC, I guess. Well, UFO, probably some of their mm-hmm. stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, I guess a lot, of, a lot of bands that stand the test of time. There's a lot of bands that don't stand, stand the test of time. But and thank that's... you. I'm sorry we didn't make more new records for you. You have to listen to the same ones over and over. Yeah, but I'm always finding something new in them, and it's funny because as the ages go by, there's songs that I wasn't that into, say, 10 years ago, and I'm more into today, and I'm like, wow, I have never really listened to this side of the album or these three songs, and I find as I'm growing, 
because I'm the kind of person that gets obsessive. So if there's like three songs on a digit album I like, I'll tend to play those three songs over and over. And then once I burn those out, I'll go move on to a couple other songs. So I'm kind of always finding new stuff in the digits. I mean, you guys have five albums out plus Gaza Strippers. You have a hell of a lot of content. Yeah, I mean, that's about as much as the police. Well, you know, speaking of band that maybe didn't stand the test of time too well, I mean, some of the early stuff, I guess, sort of did. But but anyway, no, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I, you know, it's funny because I, when I, whenever I think of like, oh, the penultimate digit song, you know, Max Wedge, Stingray, maybe even Killboy Powerhead. But, you know, there was a time like later on when I thought I was really kind of branching out, trying, trying to stretch the boundaries. And I made songs like, I don't know, Sister Sin, you know. <laughs> And I look back on, I look back on those, and I kind of go like, oh, well, that might be a little embarrassing, you know. But I don't know. It's been a long time since I listened to that song, but uh, I, I, I tried, you know. I, we, well, I guess we tried. We tried to branch out and try to do some new things, but uh, it, when it all came down to it, you know, it was always about the, the loud, fast rock and roll. Well, I, I did a lot that. of digging, too, man. I went on all yeah, the YouTube yeah. videos because I'm the studious host type. I went on all the YouTube videos. I look at the comment threads because that's how I gauge the pulse of what people really think. And they were using words like brilliant and high energy. I saw high energy a lot. Even one person was like godlike. So let me ask you this. <laughs> Are you pretty happy with the legacy of the digits? Looking back, are you like, man, I couldn't have done it better. I'm fucking pleased. Well, we're absolutely godlike. Well, I am. I don't know about those other two douchebags, but Agreed. I'm definitely. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but you know, I think uh, I, I think you know people when people are a little a lost for words. Sometimes I feel like people kind of go for the the easy terms, the easy. Uh, what do you call it? Descriptions. Uh, I don't. I don't know why that is. I mean, of course we're, we were high energy, but I mean, if we were just high energy, there's a million, millions of high energy bands out there. Millions of bands that play fast. Many millions of bands that play rock and roll, man. You know. But uh, I, I don't know. I think what, and maybe I can't tell if it was because we were truly like insane kids from Central Illinois, or that we tried to be different. But there was some. There was a quirk about it. I, I, there was something different, something that there was a twist that I think people have a hard time, putting, you know, nailing down. And uh, I think it's that twist that probably sets, I don't know, I wouldn't say set us apart, like we're the greatest band to ever walk the face of the earth. But it's like, I, I think that's why people gravitate towards us and really kind of put us in that sort of like cult sort of status above, you know, just the, the average rock rock band. Well, there's two ways to play it, right? You can go and punk the political route and like, hey, I'm trying to make a social message. Or you can, and I feel like you guys have mastered this, these snarky, in-your-face, yes. kind of like oh, the vandals yes. and vindictives. Just you know you're going and you know you're going to see a show. And when I started punk bands, it was from listening to and watching bands like you and the Vindictives and the Vandals and saying, man, this is what I want to be on stage. I, I don't even really like bass. I'm just playing bass so I can get out there and make an ass of myself and be a fucking performer. <laughs> and I got that directly from the Digits Handbook. Yeah, I I think, you know, back when we were playing, when we were playing, we were playing out and stuff. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we, we'd go to these places and there'd be like these hardcore bands and I don't know, I guess I, I, the hardcore 
when I think of hardcore, I think of, and I can't, I can't think of any specific bands right now, but, you know, just a, and it was this big Agnostic wave front. of hard. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, stuff like of that nature, some of that subgenre or whatever. And um, we'd always be around these bands, and we people were putting us on these shows with five other hardcore bands that were always very political, you know, and then we'd come out and talk about evil, sing about evil Knievel, and yeah, we were just not cool. We were not, we were not cool, and we, no, no one was doing that, and we'd come out, and we would have the stage persona, like, more, it would be more like Ted Nugent, as opposed to Jello Biafra, or Biafra, I can't remember. And um, and uh, I think it it uh, I don't know. It's three people. We were just not. You know, when you look at Touch and Go Records, the the, the label that we were on. You had the Butthole Surfers, you had Big Black, and you know they were pretty damn serious. I mean, not the Butthole yeah. Surfers, of course, but yeah. definitely Big Black. And but the, you know, it it seemed like we didn't quite fit in a way. We were, you know, when I go on stage and go like who's ready to get high and seeing all the ladies out there. I think people actually thought like, Oh, what are they doing? They're not, are, but you fed off you know, of that. You fed off They're of that, really, yeah. I yeah. mean, when people would get uptight about that, I would be like, well, you know, you know, screw you. You know, I mean, I didn't say that. I said the, the real word. I don't, I don't know if I'm, if yeah, cut, you cuss away on this show, man. Oh, okay, great. I didn't know, you know, I'm so used to radio interviews that I'm afraid I'm going to get, yeah, no gatekeepers that, here. Yeah, so I'd be like, "Oh fuck you!" And then there'd be a big fight. And you know, after a while, the, the whole, that kind of scene or that kind of event, that creating that event became as much as <laughs> as much of the fun for me as playing the the music, as to how much I could like. I, I sort of felt like uh, I was doing an Andy Kaufman after a while. Like it became more of like a, a, a pseudo persona. And an experiment on like what I could get away with, giving giving what little stature I I had and what power I had. On, that's beautiful on, though. On stage, and that's, <laughs> that's it's, it's beautiful and, and fun and dangerous. And it, yeah, and it's funny because Nick <laughs> mentioned it. You know, Nick mentioned that he went talking about how he was studying. You know, the YouTube videos, and I do the same thing. I looked through the comments, and, and it was so funny because most of the comments were like, "Oh my gosh, he." You know, Rick would have the crowd turn on him and bottles are being thrown. He's getting spit at and he's set off. And the show was great, you know. And then, but the end of it was like, you got to go see him. The show was incredible, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but those yeah, days were know. gone, though, right? And I mean, you had in the 80s and 90s, I, I remember playing in the 90s punk scene and going to a lot of shows in D.C., me and Odell both. And there was a heavy elitist type strain in those yeah. crowds of people that were kind of like the more. Um, 15, like, oh, you have to live up to this standard to be punk rock. Don't, you can't, like, degrade the scene. So it's got to be, that had to be hard for you, right? Playing against that wave. It did, except one of our biggest fans was uh, Ian McKay and all the guys at Tsukasi. So they were, you know, they took us to, they, we played a show with them in England. I mean, they were huge fans. So, I mean, you know, that, and that's sort of sort of the stuff we we railed against too is pretentious, you know. I mean, it's like, come on, man, <laughs> it's a rock and roll, and uh, it, we're all standing around sweating in a punk club, 
I don't, I don't think there's any social hierarchy here. I guess you could add, but see, that's where you know, after all, I, when I took the mantle for the evening, took the mantle of um, the guy in charge, quote unquote, on the stage who had who had the access to the the, the mic. It, it really didn't matter. I mean, if if people walked out, I was like, I'm glad you're walking out, and I'm glad that whatever I'm doing, yeah, it was a commentary without commenting specifically on it, I, I guess. But it, but it, like I said, it was strange because the people who are supposedly the gatekeepers of that sort of that sort of scene were there with us the whole way and got it and understood it and and, and really loved us and we we loved them right back. You know, we we, we dug their stuff. So it's uh kind of phenomenal, you know, hard to explain. Well, I mean, that's a good segue into something else I wanted to mention too. You know, I started this show off with Gold Eldorado. That's my favorite digit song. That song's like a fucking throat punch type of song. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so much power and um, so much energy. But when you think digits, that's probably down the list of what the average person, you know, everybody loves the Kill Boy Powerhead and all those songs. If you have a song and you personally loved it, but the crowd wasn't going for it show after show, do you weed those songs out? Or are you like, hey, dude, I'm here to play the songs I love. I don't care if the crowd likes it or not. How much of your set list was the crowd kind of dictating to you? Well, uh, I mean, you, you could, yeah, I mean, some. I, I, although, I don't know. You know, it's it's like we, we tended to play pretty, we didn't stand around all night playing an hour and a half. So we tended to play what we wanted to play, what we thought were going to deliver the goods every mm-hmm. night, what was going to be have the most impact. Rarely did we decide to, oh, uh, let's play this something that's going to really be new and different for us and try to, uh, try to experiment, you know, we, cause I think we, we ha- held that sort of mindset for our records, you know, where we would kind of branch out when we do our records, uh, if you can call it branching out, so, uh, you know, an, an, another hard, fast rock song that was a little different than the other hard, fast rock song, but, um, I think really what dictated what we played live was the ability to actually play it as a three piece because a lot of our recordings were uh, essentially a four piece band because I had play another, um, I would, we'd play as a three piece in the studio without vocals. Then I'd go back and I'd do the vocals on top of the track. Gotcha. And then I go back and, and I'd add guitar. So add guitar, yep. yeah. So specifically like say gold El Dorado, was hard to play live because it was <laughs> it was really high up on the neck. I would do it because I knew people loved it, uh, and it, it was way more popular. Popular and people asked for that song a lot, actually. And oh, wow. I had to play it way up high on the neck, and I'd have to sing, and I'd just play real fast, and I and it was a little hard to play because I think I I the magic of the studio. I abused the magic of the studio to make it hard to where it was hard to duplicate live. Well, you want to hear something sick. Here's how much I love that song. And um, Odell, you'll remember this. Rob's band was supposed to play our wedding. And I was going to do 5,000 Miles for my first wife, Renee. And I had actually, I was trying to talk her into letting me do El Dorado, Gold El Dorado, too. And she wasn't going for it. That's how much I love that song. I wanted to sing it with Rob's band at my wedding. Yeah, he wanted to do that at his wedding. Yeah, Renee, no, you know, it's his first wife. You know, remember, there's a key word there, his first wife. 
Well, that's why I knew right then it wasn't working out. I was like, what I got myself into. That's right. Good decision, man. I I support that. Thank you. I'll let her know next time I run into her. All right, let's um, kind of move here and switch gears because I want to talk about you guys playing live. Since you mentioned the studio, you guys, I feel like the music is written to play live. I mean, that music is such high energy. I keep saying high energy, high octane. Um, The whole crowd is moving. Did you like the writing and studio process as much as you liked being on stage? Because you guys seemed like you really wanted to be on fucking stage. You guys had a lot of personality up there. Well, I don't know, man. I think the... I think... uh depends on what phase uh, of the of the career of our career you're talking about early on it was uh, a lot funner than later on and I just think that the touring and being a three-piece band and being the only person that sings uh, becomes really hard because I would like you know go on the road I get sick I lose my voice and it's like oh my god do we have to cancel the show so it just became a lot of stress on the road, but, um, I mean, yeah, for a long time, it was great for a long time. It was really, really good, but it, it was, it became job like after a while. And, um, uh, the studio became just a funner thing to do as opposed to, I don't know, early on, it was like run in and you got 500 bucks, man, run into the Chicago recording company and give it to Ian and quickly make all, make your first record. You've got 12 hours, go, Bring two cases yeah, of beer. Those Woo, days. Make wow. it happen. <laughs> and then you're driving home, and and not only that, you got drunk the night before, so it was like I don't know, two day drunk something. And um, that was hard. But then you know, um, then Steve Albini, he did our like our last three records, and then it was very easy and cush. And even though we got, I got into some like you know arguments with him, <laughs> screaming matches. About way way to sound. It was always, you know, fun and, and pretty pretty damn chill. We had the run of the place and uh, to do what we wanted to do. So, um, uh, you know, I mean, speaking of me, like like right now, I'm I'm like sometimes I get the itch to perform and wish yeah. I I couldn't. Sometimes I realize, you know, towards the end. But I was this is a different band. Towards the end, we're not playing for like fifty people in Fargo realizing that I'm not having, it's not a cash cow anymore. I'm going like, what the hell am I doing here, man? Um, (laughs) But um, no, I I think, you know, early on, it was definitely like the, the, the thrill of like, Oh my God, these people are going crazy. Everybody's screaming their brains out for my band and for what we're doing. and, And they get it. And, and, and they, they, they love us. And this is just, insane what power you know what um and uh all this all this 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 idea all this this idea we had you know is is, i I wouldn't say it's paying off but it's it's coming to fruition and i guess (laughs) cult like fame or whatever you want to say anyway it was it was just uh, a feeling of that is that surprising like said, though, you two, for you though, that thirty years later, some idiot fanboy like me is like, Mister Digit, will you come on my show and talk to me? Like, is that surprising <laughs> that this is still happening thirty years later to you? No, I was more worried about like I was going, Jesus, I'm I'm such a boring interview. I don't know if I, I hope I don't like ruin this guy's show. I'm more thinking about that than I'm worrying about 
you're a fanboy. You know, I, I don't know you. Maybe you're like a weird guy and you've uh, like you're like you're naked right now on the other end and you're, you're like shoot heroin or something. But uh, I didn't have any. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, judgments about uh, about you. Not. Oh, you know what I have to ask? I always told myself if I ever ran into you to ask you this in the um, insert on the Hey Judester album. There is a note that appears to be from your dad to you. Is that was that a real note, or did you guys just write that up to sound like you know dad type jargon? Things that dad was like, you know, follow my rules or get out of my house, blah blah blah. Uh, no, actually, that was from um, a Dear Abby article. Um, I, do you remember Dear Abby and Landers? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Advice column. Anyway, we I I ran across it. I don't know where I ran across it, and I was like, come uh, on. Let's just put it in the album. And the guy who did all the album work, David Landis, he was like, yeah, it's great. Let's do it. So <laughs> why we did it? I don't know. Well, I guess we kind of grew up in that, you know, that sort of uh, rigid sort of, it, we well, needed you, people like that. <laughs> so that's why we did it. <laughs> but, but it's a good shtick, right? Because if I'm thinking, oh man, this must be like Rick Sims' dad must have left this note on the refrigerator for him one day when he came home drunk. <laughs> if I'm thinking that, you know a thousand other assholes were thinking that when they opened up that CD. So that's a great bit. Yeah, well, if you want to know what my dad's like, uh, you, you, know, you have to listen to the song dad. He's, uh, he's represented in that more oh, than, I bet. than... Actually, I think both of my dad's are represented my stepdad and him are represented in that so oh, no he was he was more of a, a a drinker and a fighter he he didn't he didn't leave me notes he, uh, anyway <laughs> i don't get into my dad yeah let's not, <laughs> but, uh, not go down that rabbit hole <laughs> something um, i will dig in here on you though is i looked all over the internet i've never been able to find out you guys are so f- mysterious I could never find any information of why you left the band, why the digits, you know, eventually broke up, how the Gaza strippers started. What happened in that time frame that, you know, 93, 94, whatever it was, when you guys, when you left the band and the digits broke up, how did that all happen? Oh, wow. That, that was a crazy ass story. We love crazy stories here. (laughs) Well, it was a long sort of slow um, deconstruction, de- devolution, <laughs> falling apart. Um, let me say it, it kind of started when we were playing a show in Chicago and this was with their second drummer, Todd. Um, and we played a show in Chicago and we played really late at night and it was a crazy one where we had a transvestite, a guy, well, not a transvestite, a guy who like dressed up like a girl on stage. And it was weird. I remember my wife, Heidi was there and she's like, that's one of the weirdest shows I've ever seen. It was really uncomfortable. I didn't know anything, you know, didn't feel anything about it, but, you know, and, um, we played the show and, and, and there was a lot of people doing Coke. I think, uh, my, uh, the bass player and the drummer were doing Coke and they, and they were like, okay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to drive back to Matt. Well, Matt Toon is where they, where they lived, which is like three hours South of Chicago. And, um, so I was like, Dude, don't do it. Just come stay at the house. What the, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, oh, yeah. we got to get back. The dog has to work and blah, blah, blah. And so they all get in the car and they're driving back home. And the car flips. And, oh, um, oh, wow. Yeah. And then the, um, the drummer and my, the bass player, Doug, 
end up getting hurt, and the actually the drummer's wife ended up getting killed. And oh, man, wow! <laughs> and so not only that, but after that, it was kind of fell apart a little bit. But we decided that we were going to go ahead and go on the the European tour anyway. And the drummer went, and it got all weird. You know, it was lots of I don't know what happened, but people were like the bass player, Doug was going off the deep end, you know? And so we went on the tour, made that happen. Then we came back and there was supposed to be a show in Chicago. And then our bass player just disappeared with some hippie woman. And we kept trying to call her and he, he never called. And we're like, dude, are you going to be, we got the show. Are you going to show up or not? What's going on? Are you going to show up? And you just never heard anything. So we're like, well, yeah, I think he's going to be there, so we'll go ahead and we'll play the show and assume that because his, I think his hippie girlfriend said he was going to be there, and he, but he ended up not showing up. So we played our last show with the bass player from Peg Boy. I don't know if you kind of guys know Peg Boy. Oh yeah, we had Larry on oh, not yeah. too long ago. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so Pierre came on and played like five songs. We we had Joey Slotnick, who was uh, an actor friend of mine. Um, pretend to be a, like a fanboy, and I smashed a bottle over his head, and it had fake blood in it. I almost got beat up because people didn't think it was a joke, and that was the last show. We we had to bring him up with fake blood all over him, going, "Oh, hey, everybody's a joke." Because there was people like ready to storm the stage and kick Holy my ass. Shit. It was <laughs> when it does the Rick Sim uh, memoirs come out? My God, yeah, man, where's the book? <laughs> oh, I'm too busy. Just to put out, put out a boring ass book, <laughs> but hey, yeah, hey, that's sort of how it fell apart. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, go ahead, Adele. I've been monopolizing the conversation. No, no, no. I just wanted. I had a uh, question. How? What was it like recording with Fred Schneider of B fifty two? Uh, well, because I love Fred that Schneider, that that solo album was incredible. So, and I I remember oh, that was the, one of the one of the main reasons that I got it was because I knew you were on it. You know, I had read that you were, you know, helped out, helped out big time on it. So, what was that? What oh, was that? Oh, thanks, like? man. Oh, that no. was, it was really, it was great. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, 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 um, in, when the digits were forming way back in like, I don't know, 1982, something like that, when we were just okay. getting our, when we were being losers, living, I mean, not living in a chicken shed, but playing, songs in a chicken shed and we'd spin records and get drunk in the chicken shed and smoke dope and hang out, you know, like whatever 20 something to do to be in yep. total goofballs. And we were sitting around and we'd always be, we'd spend some sex pistols. We'd spend French, you know, we'd spend the B-52s. We'd go drinking, driving through the cornfields, you know, <laughs> blasting wild planet. So, you know, this dude, you know, his band was a huge influence. I mean, he was, he might as well have been, you know, Mick Jagger, as far as I'm concerned. I just, I loved his band. I thought they were stars, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I got the chance to play with him, I was like, holy crap, this is the greatest thing ever. So yeah, I played with him on the record and we recorded in Brooklyn, as a matter of fact. And that was, that was all okay. fun. Fine. We even recorded with a guy from the John Spencer's Blues Explosion. It was a pretty cool guy who played drums. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Russell, that was his name. So Great that was cool too, you know. <laughs> got got mm -hmm. to meet some other people, and uh, you know, it was it was fantastic. Then we got the tour with him. You know, he was a nice. He's really nice. You know, he's a little. Oh. He, <laughs> if you can believe this or not, he's a little uptight. 
just in the sense of like, I'm going to go to bed early. The stuff about I'm going to, you know, party, we're going to party and we're going to have a love shack. It's sort of not really him. He's more of like, I'm going to call it an, an early night and hang out with my boyfriend as opposed to go out and, you know, dance until the sun comes up or whatever. But that guy seems think. laser focused, though, so I can believe it. Oh, he knows what he wants. He knows what he wants to do. And, he, and you know, he's still playing in the B-52s and they're still traveling. And he must be, you know, he's probably 10 years older than I am. So, you know, he's, uh, he's you know, doing his thing. And he's this is what he wants to do, obviously. And he's done it forever and continues to do it. And it's crazy because you guys have your fingers in so many different pieces yes, of music history. I read a great um, quote from you in a Rolling Stone article that was online about the offspring using Killboy Powerhead on their big breakthrough album. And I remember that Smash album, what a big deal it was. Are you still living off that sweet, sweet offspring money? Because I love that quote that you had in there. Well, um, yes. I, I don't even know. I mean, yes. And I was going to say indirectly, but I don't know if that's actually true because I was saying indirectly, the house that I'm living in now is uh, uh, we bought a house and then that investment is accrued and, and, you know, now we bought a new house. But yeah, man, that, that shit paid off, dude. I mean, that was no small thing. Those guys, uh-huh. I, I owe a debt of gratitude. Maybe they're probably thinking like, dang, man, we shouldn't have done that. So we could have had more money, but um another another case of a bunch of cool guys you know just playing rock and roll doing their thing and uh no pretensions no like oh we're we're great and we need our limo we got make sure our backstage is like has you know the exact right deli check you know they're like hey you want to come on stage and and uh play Killboy Powerhead with us once, you know, when we're playing in Chicago or sure, we'll get you into the Riot Fest here. We'll give you a tour passes for all weekend. You know, and they didn't have to do that. And, you know, and they were like, no. cause I was going, you know, to show my kids and show them like, Hey, check out these, this awesome band and these check out the, you know, we went and saw, speaking of that, we went and saw the Buzzcocks. Oh my God, that was fantastic. That would be awesome. I couldn't, oh, <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. They, they were up there and then the, gray bearded guys and they were singing like they wow. sounded exactly the same sounded exactly the same as they did in non singles going steady it was crazy anyway i digress but anyway talking you know great guys yes i am living off that money still without without shame i might add yeah own it own it definitely <laughs> and another thing i wanted to ask you too is you played on a super suckers album and you yes. play guitar on that. It's kind of mind-boggling to me because you're such a big personality. What was it like for you to jump into another band that already had a two or three albums under their belt? Uh, you know, that didn't work out so great, honestly. Uh, they, I don't know what was up with that whole situation, but there was, it was mm-hmm. like ego, ego central, and everybody had the way they would have done things and the way things should go. And then, you know, oh, somebody okay. thought... Okay. You know, somebody's like, well, this is our band, but, you know, and I'm, and I'm saying like, well, I'm doing my thing. And that's why I was brought into the band. And then I'm, I'm like writing some songs because they needed to put some, they needed more material for the record. And, and other people are going like, why is he writing songs? And it just got all messy because, you know, it's it like joining another family as the, I don't know, the step kid, you know, step kid, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and not really welcomed by everybody. And um, the recording was okay. You know, it was great meeting Paul Larry, the Butthole Surfers guitar player, because another guy I idolized and think he's fantastic. And yeah. um, that was all pretty good. But the touring and stuff and hanging out and, and living with these people just wasn't, just didn't jive, you know. People, there was too many people feel, I think, threatened by by me. And I was also, I think I was also getting to the point to where I was sort of getting like, I don't want to be hanging around you guys. And I don't want to really be on the road right now because, you know, yeah. I just got yeah. married. So I, my heart really wasn't it either. So I probably wasn't the best person to be hanging out with. And, you know. I, was that I, before I think, or after Gaza Strippers? I mean, how did that whole Gaza Stripper thing come about? And that, then that, that, that was, was what, before, three albums for Gaza Stripper? Three, four albums? I think it was at least three. Uh, well, an EP, an album, and another EP. Gosh. Yeah, I think maybe only two full lengths? Gosh, man, I think maybe only one full length. We had two EPs. And then we had some offshoots because we were trying to get go to Europe and play shows. So we had a couple of compilation greatest hits things. But uh, now the, the Super Suckers thing was sort of like, um, okay, the digits are done. And, oh, my God, what am I going to do with my life? Oh, out of the blue, the Super Suckers called and they want me to uh, be in the band. And I'm like, oh, well, i got to have a gig. Wow. So, Wow, yeah, so I was like, man. and they That's and they're a crazy flying me. Phone call to get. Yeah, I know. And there's they're like, uh, and you come to Seattle, we'll we'll make it work. You can fly us out. And they were getting big sub pop money. Sub, sub pop yeah. was pumping yeah. money money into bands back then. So they were you know flying me out from practices and uh, getting big promotion. You know, doing big videos with big video producers. And uh, I did a. I did uh, Born with a Tail. I've got a picture of me downstairs. As a matter of fact, with me and uh, Linda Blair, um, who uh, I guess she was, I, I barely remember what she did on it, but I think she just rode around the back of a truck. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> oh, that's weird. Is it was, that it was, Wonder Woman or the Exorcist Girl? Which Linda is? That's the Exorcist, Exorcist Girl. Who's the um, Wonder yeah. Woman? Linda Carter. Uh, Linda Carter. Yeah. yeah. Let's get those guys confused. You know what? You know what's so ironic about that, Nick, is that Susan and I today we were at Ruby Tuesday with the kids. We're, I'm on vacation, and she said the same thing. We were talking about Wonder Woman, and she said Linda Blair, and I was like, No, it's Linda Carter. So I'm constantly <laughs> what, what, doing that in my old. That's weird. Man, brain. what are the odds of that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very slim. <laughs> All right, we got a couple minutes left. Let me end with this because you are such a fixture in the punk world, and I know you have to still follow music. Do you feel like, like, what do you feel about the state of punk today? You feel like it's lost its edge? Do you feel like everybody's just phoning it in to make a quick buck? Does it even oh, exist God, no. anymore, or is there some good music still out there? Uh, I think there's good music out there. I just don't think it's like necessarily punk rock, you know, like I, and the bands I like, you know, like Turbo Negro and stuff. I mean, uh, I guess that's punk rock, but they're like gigantic. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Ghost, Eagles of Death Metal. I mean, what, what is that? Would you call it punk rock? I mean, I guess. It's kind of um, good. It doesn't have a label though, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, I even like Queens of the Stone Age. Um, but that, you know, I guess you could call it punk rock, but, I was looking at some things the other, um, 
listening to a band the other day. Oh my god, the name escapes me from Philadelphia. And uh, anyway, they were like, um, "Hang it, what are what is Steel Mag? Something like that? Something? Oh uh, God, forget, sorry about that." Anyway, I was listening <laughs> to it, and it didn't sound punk rock at all. It sounded sort of like R and B, sort of like poppy, and and it. It sounded like they, uh, it was like, good try, guys, but you know, it's just not very good. And, you know, they made it up, uh, Rolling Stone had made it up to be this, like, the next cutting edge wildness of blah, 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 blah. And it just, oh, it, just uh, it just wasn't, you know? Um, so I guess it's a mixed bag, you know? A band is a band, a good band is a good band, and if you can call it punk rock or whatever, but if it's either good or it's not very good. And, and you know, to be fair, it's a, it's a, it's an opinion, you know, it's a taste thing. You know, people, you know, I say I like equals of death metal, but other people are going like, what the fuck? That's, they suck, you know? So I get it. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think what, I think the, the thing that bothers me mo- the most is the, the signing off on if it's fast, if it's loud, it's good enough. And that's punk and that's, that's rock. And, um, I feel like a lot of the, like the songwriting and the, and the image portrayal is missed. The, the, I don't know what you call it. The, um, trying to be an icon, trying to be an idol, at least get play that sort of like bigger, larger than life rock and roll persona has been, been lost. Uh, yeah. I unless, you're, unless you're in ghost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless you're ghost, of course, but I, I feel like for a while there, I felt like there was a lot of bands who were just playing loud and fast and, and without a lot of attention to songs and, you know, scenes about pussy and beer. And Well, I mean, me and Adele grew up in the same scene. And Adele, I mean, you see yeah. kids today and they think they're doing something different or they think they're hardcore. And I'm like, man, my dad is crazier than you are. Like, you're not freaking <laughs> me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. my... My dad is more hardcore than you are. My God! <laughs> yeah. So we've lost a step, haven't we, Odell? I think, I, I, you know, like I, I, it's funny you mentioned it because there's been a few bands that I've been listening to that aren't necessarily punk rock, but then all of a sudden there's a song that they put on there, and you're like, you can tell they were influenced by punk rock. Like I've been listening to this um, one lady, um, uh, Zinnia Rubinos, and um, and there's one song she does in Spanish. And and it's just her and a drummer, and she plays like the uh, like a keyboard, but it's 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 a straight punk rock song, and um and you can I mean you can tell, and then but when you go and you read what she grew up on, you're like okay, all right, because most of her other stuff is like R and B or or R and B ish, or um uh uh more on that edge, and then all of a sudden here comes this song, you're like whoa, where did this come out of the blue? Yeah, but Chicago's still putting that shit out, though, because, I mean, yeah. the Orwells, I feel like, are a pretty pure band, and they're from Chicago, and they're one of the younger bands that I dig. Huh. I have. I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm so out of the loop on Chicago, like, punk rock, I couldn't begin to tell you. <laughs> I couldn't begin to tell you a, a, a punk rock band. From yeah, Chicago they're a band you should be now. checking out. Um, Odell, we got to wrap this up. Why don't you wrap it up for us, since I've been monopolizing this conversation? I know. I, my last thing is, you were, uh, and you mentioned this earlier on, is um, like how did how did you guys get in with uh, Touch and Go? How did that all come about? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we put 
we um oh man this is a little, I, I, I don't know how long i can take it anyway we put out our oh, first sorry. record his job <laughs> we were big fans of big black in chicago okay. punk rock big black effigies um gosh i can't remember and we were big fans of touch and go and we um Oh, Naked Ray Gun and stuff like that. So we wanted yeah, Ian Burgess, yeah. the producer for Naked Ray Gun, to put out our record or to produce our record. So we um, we make Fizz job and we get him to do it. And then we send a, a copy off to Steve Albini. And we we also call up Steve Albini like one night. We're like, what should we do with our record? We put it out. We made it. We got it back from St. Louis. He's like, oh, send it off to Rockpool. Send it off to radio stations. Put it in there, you know put a note in there and blah, blah, blah. And he gave us all this stuff. And, and so he became a huge, I'm not a huge fan. He became a fan. He, he enjoyed our stuff and he, and he, and really, he really liked that record. So we went back and we made another record. Touch and go did not like the first record. They were like, ah, no, thank you. <laughs> but Steve definitely, he liked it anyway. So what happened was we went and said, okay, fuck it. We're going to put out our, our next record. And we know it's going to be great. It's a Hey Jutester. We were, you know, hitting a stride there. We were in our quote unquote prime. <laughs> And so we put it, we made it on our own. We put it out and we were like, Steve, will you put it out? Yes. He's going to put it out on his ruthless record, his own label. And so he gets it after it's all done. We say, here's the tape, Steve. And he's like, Oh, this is too good to be on ruthless. It needs to be on touch and go, but touch and go, you know, they, they don't like our band, but it, apparently he played that record, that tape when they were having Thanksgiving dinner he had him over for Thanksgiving dinner and he ended up playing the tape. And then the wife of uh, the owner wanted, they were a wife and husband and wife team. They were co-owners loved it so much that she said, Oh, we got to put that out. That's great. Blah, blah, blah. So we finally made it on touch and go. And uh, we were shit pants happy. That's for damn sure. Well, I mean, you guys are a perfect fit for that label, man, because I mean, they had, and it seems like Touch and Go had a lot of bands that weren't afraid to take chances, didn't fit into a box. I mean, they had what? Jesus Lizard, Girls Against Boys. They had all these bands I wouldn't even really call punk bands. They're just kind of these weird, offbeat bands that weren't afraid to take chances and be outside the box. I think you guys fit in perfectly with that label. Yeah, well, thanks. And and, and that's saying a lot because there's a lot of, groundbreaking punk rock or groundbreaking rock on that. I mean, the butthole surfers and, and big black, I mean, geez, it doesn't get much bigger. I mean, when you're lumped on into that sort of sphere of, of, uh, uh, I don't know, rock and roll history. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's kind of a big honor, you know, I mean, there's kill that, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I'm, and I'm sure there's others. I just can't think of them off the top of my head right now. But uh, lots of great rock history there. And then the then the main criteria for being, I think, well, let me rephrase that. The only criteria to to being able to be on that label was did Corey like your music or did Lisa like your music? And that was it. It wasn't like are they punk enough? Are they this enough? Are they going to sell records? It was like, oh, I like your music. You're good, and what I think is you know, what I think is good. So we want you on. So, you know, that's just a testament to the, like Corey's, uh, eclectic sort of tastes, you know, as to what he liked. He liked the puddle surfers and then he liked earned overkill. And then he would like, you know, girls versus boys, blah, blah, blah. So he was a little all, all over the map. And, but, uh, that was the magic. <laughs> yes. I, 
We are a couple minutes over. We have got to end here. We'll have to have you back because I haven't touched on half the shit I wanted to talk to you about with the technical yeah, difficulties. <laughs> but Rick, hey, thanks thank for you having me, man. So much for calling in. Um, is there anywhere yeah, people can so find much. you on the internet? Do you have anything you want to promote on your way out the door? No, just uh, <laughs> if you have if you have kids, don't let them Google me. Just um, <laughs> no, uh, no, I ain't got anything, man. You know, nothing that uh, nothing that these nothing that you punk rockers would be interested in. I'm doing all live theater now, which is if you want to go to my website, ricksimsmusic.com, you can, but don't get your hopes up because it's a lot of like uh, made for theater shows. But no, that's all I got. Fair enough. All right, Rick, thanks for calling in, and we are going to end Rick. with "Under the Christmas Fish" by the Digits. Take it away, <laughs> D.